and welcome to our podcast about living on the Lewy Body Roller Coaster, a podcast for Lewy Body dementia patients and their families, presented by Lewy Body patients and their families. You will hear firsthand the ups and downs and twists and turns of Lewy Body dementia from families directly affected. We'll share our support and experiences on all things Lewy Body. We're your hosts, Linda and Curry. I have a loved one with Lewy Body dementia. And I am living with Lewy Body Dementia. Let's get started. All right, so we're back for week two with Dr. Levine and Wendy Kogan talking about this in one uh, CND Life Sciences test. So, Wendy, let's jump in and get your help with the next set of questions. Okay, last time I shared a little bit of history on um, my husband's diagnosis with Lewy body dementia. Um, And uh, this week I'm going to talk a little bit about how it evolved, his specific disease and um, some of the complexities that came into play and how we work with CND Life Sciences to get a little bit more clarity. So... um, As I talked about, my husband was diagnosed with Lewy body dementia in 2020 at Mayo. He had a positive DAT scan. He had neuropsychological testing that was classic of Lewy body dementia. Other scans showed that he didn't have any Alzheimer's involvement um, and his clinical symptoms were, were similar to what Lewy body dementia patients have. However, um, some things he did not have classically as a Lewy body dementia patient. And I really shouldn't say that because it does vary. Symptoms vary by each person, but he still does not have hallucinations. He does not have the REM sleep behavior disorder. He has periodic limb movement disorder, which is a different type of sleeping disorder, but he doesn't act out his dreams. And he only has a little bit now of Parkinsonism. So he has um, a little bit of an action tremor at times. Um, And again, he didn't have Alzheimer's. Well, he started to morph about a year ago and we were seeing apraxia. He was, which means clumsiness when he tried to use his, um, his his dominant hand, which is on the left. He has issues with, um, you know, sensing things with that hand, uh, more rigidity on that side, kind of unilateral. All this is on his left side, but in his scans, most of his involvement is on the right side of his brain. Um, But so then we began to think, you know, he was starting to evolve to look like a frontotemporal dementia called cortical basal syndrome. Um, And so we were a little bit perplexed and we had heard about the cerebral spinal fluid test for alpha-synuclein. So we went to our local doctor um, at the University of Kansas Medical Center because we live in Kansas City. And he went ahead and he ordered the cerebral spinal fluid test. Um, And lo and behold, it came back negative. So now we're thinking, oh, wow, you know, maybe Mayo misdiagnosed him with um, Lewy body disease, but he also has cortical basal, or maybe he has cortical basal syndrome. And we saw a movement disorder specialist. He looked at him and said, yep, 
He's got corticobasal syndrome. Um, you know, not sure why a male thinks he has Lewy body dementia, but he does have meet the, you know, he has corticobasal syndrome. So we went back to Dr. Mayo and Dr. Mayo, who's a, who is an expert in Lewy body dementia. He says, I'm not convinced. He said, I am not convinced that your husband doesn't have Lewy body dementia. And he said, there's, um, and I asked, well, I said, I heard about a skin test, uh, CND Life Sciences. Have you ever heard of them? And he goes, yes. He goes, he has. Mayo at the time, um, I think they're planning on actually using the test. I guess um, we can find out later if they've actually started. But basically they said that, um, basically Dr. Beauvais said, if you get a negative CND Life Sciences test, then we'll call it frontotemporal. Meanwhile, we did all sorts of genetic testing for frontotemporal dementia and all came back negative. So um, went back to KU, uh, our particular neurologist had never used CND Life Sciences. So I called CND Life Sciences and I said, hey, do you know any doctors in Kansas City who have done this? We found a doctor um, who was actually familiar with doing small fiber neuropathy tests. Because according to Dr. Um, Beauvais, we needed somebody experienced. He wanted somebody experienced because he said um, alpha synuclein is patchy in the skin and he would only believe it, the test results, if it was done correctly. So we were one of the first ones that um, the memory care center had do this test. And um, it was very, it was very easy. I mean, it was just three quick little punch biopsies, much less invasive than the cerebral spinal fluid test. We sent it off. And in our case, we had, there was a little bit of um, additional time because there was something in the first set of slides that was atypical. So um, they needed to redo it. Uh, I, I guess, I think that particular slide they had to redo. Um, but I think within a month or so from the beginning, we found we did get the test result and lo and behold, it was positive. And I, I was absolutely astounded because at this time I really thought, no, he's got cortical basal syndrome. Well, it was positive. We actually got the, the slides. We could see the, um, PSIN, I guess is what they call it along the uh, nerve fibers and, um, so Mayo was right Louis, uh, that my husband had Louis body dementia. Um, so this is my question. I'm trying to figure out why would it be, especially if you go according to the theory that some dementia start in the skin and in the periphery, I mean, in the periphery first and then go to the brain and some start in the brain and then move down. Why would it be my husband's symptoms started with cognitive issues and he doesn't even have the Parkinson symptoms very much? Why would it be that the cerebral spinal fluid test that measures, you know, the fluid that bathes the brain, why would that come back negative? But the skin test come back positive. Um, okay, so a great question. <laughs> <laughs> that I don't have a specific answer for. But let me start with just sort of a general concept of any test. Um, any test, including our test, has what's called the risk of a false negative. 
Um, so that means that the test comes back negative, but the, really the result is not supposed to be negative. And so in, in our case, um, to what Dr. Beauvais said, um, a little bit at least, is it can be patchy. And even though we're taking three pieces of skin, when we look inside the skin, it's not in every nerve. And so if we just don't happen to see the nerve that contains it, we may report it as negative. We think that probably happens in our hands somewhere between two and 5% of the time. The Amprion test, uh, the spinal fluid test, will also have some rate of false negatives. I, I don't know what they report there as being. So it could just simply have been bad luck. So that's one possibility. A second possibility, um, which I tend to think also has some merit, is if you, well, you're correct that the spinal fluid is where we like to look as the most direct way of seeing what's happening in the central nervous system. Um, you also have to remember that the spinal fluid is made and recirculated um, about twice a day. So there's new spinal fluid being made all of the time. So you don't get a buildup of the phosphorylated synuclein in the spinal fluid. When we look at the SIN1 test, what we are actually looking at is the accumulation of phosphorylated synuclein for years and decades. If you think about the fact that in REM behavior disorder, we can see phosphorylated synuclein in the nerves 10 years before a person gets Parkinson's disease. And then they're going to develop Parkinson's, you know, they'll have that Parkinson's disease for the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. The entire time that protein is building up inside the nerves. So I like to think about what's happening inside the nerves almost as a sink, right? It's, it's just collecting all of this bad protein because that's what we're seeing happening to the person. The protein is building up in their nerves, it's killing their nerves, and it's causing a progressive neurologic disease. The spinal fluid protein just recirculates and repopulates itself all the time. So it, you don't get that kind of effect of seeing years and years of accumulation that we see in the skin. Wow. Oh, okay. So that's fascinating. Yeah. I'm, um, Karen, I, I, hadn't, like, I, I hadn't even thought of something like that. So basically what you're saying is that the alpha synuclein could have been flushed out of his um, cerebral spinal fluid and timing just wasn't right where in the skin it would have built up over years so it would have remained there. That's fascinating. Correct, correct, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, and then what, what about the comment, you know, we went through a lot of effort to try to find somebody who was familiar with small fiber neuropathy and doing biopsies for that specifically. Do you have cases where sometimes you have inexperienced doctors who tend to miss it a little bit more than um, maybe an experienced doctor would in the biopsy? There's nothing that the doctor who's doing the biopsy can see. It's just three random pieces of skin. Um, and in fact, we want normal pieces of skin. We don't want you to biopsy moles or freckles or any, we want normal pieces of skin. So all you have to be able to do is look at a leg or an, a shoulder and, and take three normal pieces. So we have dermatologists that do it for us. We have primary care doctors, geriatricians, um, mainly neurologists. Um, doctors, doctors don't like to learn new things, um, particularly on the fly, um, right? We tend to be a little uh, wary of going into a patient's room and going, oh, this is the first time I've ever done this. Let me practice on you. We don't like that anymore. 
Um, so I think some doctors will just say, I don't want to learn how to do the skin biopsy. Um, again, it, it is incredibly simple. I, I don't think it's, it's almost impossible to, to mess it up unless you don't put the piece of skin back in the tube that you're supposed to. Um, and we have lots of training videos. Um, we have uh, representatives that go out to doctor's offices and kind of watch them the first time. So it, it really can be done by anyone, but the, the particular sites have nothing to do with whether you have a false negative or a false positive. It's, that's just, it's just random nerves that we take from the skin. That's interesting. Just kind of absorbing what, what you had to say. Um, so just, just, um, I do want to add to that. Um, one of the things that we really appreciated was that uh, it was affordable for us. It was only, I think we only paid like 250 out of pocket because Medicare covered the cost. And so that was, was really helpful. When we did this cerebral spinal fluid test, that was not covered. And so we had to come up with that out of pocket. Um, we love seeing the pictures. I know that sounds a little bit um, off. You know, why would you love seeing it? Yeah, you're a science geek. So that's, that's, yeah, yeah that's why, uh, me too. I that's why I, I know. I was like, oh my God, they put a picture of the report in the, yeah, yeah, we get I it. Did. We, we were in a, um, in a support group meeting and I like held up a picture and some were saying, no, no, we don't want to see it. We don't want to see it. <laughs> but I was really excited about actually physically being able to see it because we've had people who, who've told me specifically that they thought I was making all this up. So this was a very good validation. Um, the other thing that I wanted to highlight is that now, because he does have uh, Lewy body dementia or, you know, it was positive, the test was positive and based on his clinical symptoms, they're thinking of the five diseases that you talk about, he has Lewy body, he is now being evaluated for a clinical trial um, using a drug and, um, so we would not have been able to qualify if we hadn't have done this test. And also, now that KU Medical Center has seen the result of this, they are now starting to order this for, for some of their other patients. And um, just a quick question, has Mayo started doing this yet? Do you know? I believe they have, yes. Okay, yeah. yeah she, Wendy's lucky to, be, to live in Kansas City near Mayo. Yeah. So I was going to say, you know, there's um, there's a couple of schools of thought and, and you sort of touched on them, but I think they're important. Um, uh, even as we talk to neurologists or as you talk to some of the people in the patient support groups, you could take one approach to this problem and you could say it doesn't matter. Right. We don't have a cure for Alzheimer's. We don't have a cure for Lewy body. We don't have a cure for frontotemporal for cortical basal. It doesn't really matter. And, and so I, I talk about that when I talk to neurologists as the so what question. And, and if you belong in that so what camp, um, if that's the way that your brain works and that's the way you think about these problems, I can't tell you that you're wrong. Um, but then you can see why people would say, well, why do the test? Because it doesn't matter, right? But then there's the other side of the equation, which is that there is a lot of benefit that comes. So the first for me is a sense of closure. So you and your husband now feel like there's an answer. You don't have to get more spinal fluid tests. You don't have to do more genetic tests. You don't have to do more DAT scans, PET scans. So once you have closure, you can see fewer doctors. You can do fewer tests, which I think in the long run is a cost savings. 
And then hopefully they can find, as you said, uh, some medications to help treat the symptoms in a much more educated way, as opposed to just guessing. So that so sense of closure is a, is a tremendous benefit for, for any diagnostic test. The second is that we are now entering an incredibly exciting era for finding treatment, like real treatment for, for these diseases. Um, in particular, I think the number, I think there are now 40 different molecules that are being developed by pharmaceutical companies to block synuclein or inhibit synuclein or get rid of synuclein. And so unless you know, as, as, as your husband's the perfect example, unless you know that that's what your disease is, you can't get into those trials. And in many cases, we are now working with the pharmaceutical companies because there have been drugs that people have thought might have worked that didn't work in clinical trials. And one of our beliefs is they're enrolling the wrong people, right? Unless you have a specific objective test, you might be putting 30, 40% of the people into a clinical trial that don't have Lewy body or that don't have Parkinson's. And that number is not just a made up number because we know, for example, from the Mayo Clinic's own data, that if they diagnose people with Parkinson's disease and then those people come to autopsy, they were wrong about 30% of the time. If they diagnose people with multiple system atrophy and they come to autopsy, they're wrong about 30% of the time. Lewy body is even more complicated because there's going to be a large percentage of people that have Lewy body and Alzheimer's when they come to autopsy. We see amyloid tau and synuclein. So that may not work in the right clinical trials. So we have to understand the patients better to get them into the trials so that we can find the drugs that are going to work. So for me, you know, closure is usually important. Symptomatic medication is usually important. And then hopefully research trials are usually important. And that's where we see the real benefit of this test. Well, and we're in 2022. I got to believe that, you know, things are, when we came up with a COVID vaccine and how short, so... Well, I appreciate any any and all doctors and medical professionals who are trying to tackle this disease and help us. Because I, Curry always had, says on the podcast how he was just relieved to get diagnosed, even with Lewy body. We're going to stop here for a bit, and when we come back next week, we're going to pick up with Dr. Levine, who will update us on the progress of a synuclein one study funded by the NIH. Thank you again to Dr. Levine and to our guest helper, Wendy Kogan. Remember, you can email us with suggestions on what you'd like us to discuss on future episodes, or you can ask any questions you have, and we'll sure do our best to help get you the best answer possible. If you're interested in helping us as a volunteer and advocate, please send us an email at louisbodyrollercoaster@gmail.com. because the more people who reach out, the more people uh, we can help. And if you'd like to learn how you can be a supporter of the podcast, please see the episode notes as we post information on that there. Well, folks, thanks again for joining us. Until next week, this is Linda. And Curry, signing off. Mm-hmm.